So Matthew 21 through 19. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated and I'll pray. Father, we, uh, we just thank you for this text. Um, I pray that we would be laborers as a body, that uh, we would be laborers that would encourage one another, um, that laborers that are worthy of you saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. We, uh, we just ask that you would be with Mike this morning. Give him the words, give us the ears and the hearts to receive what you have for us, um, and just bless, bless this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. How's everyone doing? You're good. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone have a good holiday? Good. Y'all still in turkey comas? Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's, been, uh, it's been good. Um, yeah, so as you noticed, we have a lot going on this morning. <laughs> uh, just with uh, the, the Advent season being here upon us uh, and, and introducing that today and then getting to pray over Glenn and Linda. When you guys leave tomorrow, Tuesday, Tuesday. So just, yeah, keep the Myers uh, at the forefront of your hearts and minds and just be praying for them as they leave on Tuesday. Um, we're also just, just you know, a few other things that are going to be a little bit different this morning. Uh, we've set up communion differently than what we, what we have been uh, since we got in this building. We, we got into this building and then uh, COVID was a part of that whole transition. And so uh, the way that we had been practicing communion is just as we have been with handing out the trays and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but a long, long time ago, 
uh, we used to do things a little bit differently. And so that's kind of what we're going to go back to this morning. So uh, I'm just preparing you now for this. Um, after the sermon, we're going to have a song, and then I will come back up, and I'm going to read a table liturgy for us. And the hope with the liturgy is we're going we're gonna to practice and work through this liturgy uh, on a regular basis, kind of every week, so that it's something that we can just kind of all be on the same page in regards to what we understand communion to be and uh, what we're participating in when we partake of communion. Uh, we might change it up every once in a while, um, but we want to keep it as consistent as possible. And then with that, too, so after I read the liturgy, then during the second and third songs, you all will have opportunity to go and get the elements uh, and partake of those. You can either take them back to you, uh, to your spot, or you can uh, kind of just find a spot around and pray um, and, and partake of the elements there. But there, there's a table here, there's a table here, there's two tables in the back, and then I think there's one table up front, or sorry, up front, up there, upstairs as well. So that's, that's uh, forthcoming here this morning. Um, with that, oh yes, one other thing. Advent. Advent started today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Advent season is the it's the fourth Sunday uh, prior to Christmas, and it's just it's just a season in which we get to kind of focus in specifically on uh, anticipating the coming of Christ. Uh, that's that's all that Advent means. Um, and so what we do is we just give attention to that. Advent usually has um, has several different themes to it. The most common are hope, faith, peace, and joy. Uh, and so that's what we'll be focusing on. We also have a book for everyone, so it's, it's this book. Uh, you're now free to take those. There's a book resource table. Please just go ahead and take one per family for now. Uh, if there's extras after Christmas, you can feel free to have those. Um, and then the way that those work is there's just 25 Advent devotionals. So I think ideally we would start on December 1st and then go through December 25th, and it would work out really nicely, uh, and you'll have read a book by Christmas. How many of you have that goal this year? <laughs> We're helping you achieve it. All right. With that, let's, uh, let's get into our, our text. Uh, so I'll start with this. I don't like to be last. <laughs> does anyone, does any, <laughs> some of you are surprised. Uh, does anyone in here like to be last? I'm just curious. I don't, I, I didn't think so. Some of you are like more used to it than others. Um, that's, that's, that's okay. I come in last when I play game board. Yeah, game, yeah, board games, game boards, board games. That's when I come in last. Uh, and that's why I don't like board games. Um, it's just, coming in last, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I think winning is important. I think participation points are weird and sports should not end in a tie. You can, you know, you guys know where I'm going with that. I think there are winners and losers, right? Here's the problem. This is not the way of the kingdom. And it, I'll be honest, I find it frustrating. Like when, when Jesus says things like the first will be last and the last will be first, I'm like, well, Jesus, maybe your math is off. Like, come on. The way of the kingdom is different. Now, I have to say this, in regards to the kingdom, I'm not so sure how much sports matter. I'm not saying that they don't, I'm just not so sure how much they do. But what we do see very clearly in the teachings of Jesus is that winning looks a whole lot different than what we might consider winning to be. And what is markedly different about it is that the first is last and the last is first. 
Uh, We see this phrase and this idea repeatedly in this little section here in the Gospel of Matthew. And, And what it's teaching us is this, is that the social ranks of the kingdom are different than ours. So every, everything that we understand about what it looks like to be in a socially high or low position, the kingdom is different than that. It's, it's completely upside down and completely other than that. And so when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, I think there's a lot of them that we have not understood, but I think this one is truly at the top of the list. This is incredibly challenging to us in a a very Western, uh, consumeristic, capitalistic society. Everything in our society is built around winning. It's built around doing whatever we can to get ahead and to be first, or at the very least, be anything but last or end in a tie. But Jesus reshapes this, and he does so through this parable. Now, it's been a while since we have worked through a parable. We're going to start working through a few more here as we uh, come towards the end of Matthew. And understand when I say come towards the end of Matthew, I mean eight more chapters. Uh, so it's going to be a long end, okay? Just, just so you know. Um, but I need to just kind of remind us a little bit about how parables work and what parables are, okay? Remember, that parables are forms of teaching that Jesus and other rabbis used on a, on a pretty regular basis. Matthew, Matthew has a lot of parables. Uh, they were especially condensed in the Matthew 13 area. Uh, but they were, they were ways of teaching that were used on a regular basis. And in Jesus' case, he uses them to illustrate specifically what the kingdom of heaven is like. This, this, is, this is the consistent theme When Jesus uses a parable, he's using it to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. Notice there that it says in verse 1 of chapter 24, the kingdom of heaven is like. So that draws our attention very specifically, very clearly to what he wants us to understand. Now, there's a few important rules for us to to keep in mind when it comes to the parables. Uh, Remember this, that parables bless the hearer and frustrate the scoffer. We, 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 we did this way back in Matthew 13. Parables bless the hearer, meaning that the purpose of the parables um, is they're not intended to come across easily. We're intended to hear them and to kind of go like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or we're intended to hear them and, and to think to ourselves, that's opposite of everything I've ever known about the world. This is, this is an example of that. What Jesus teaches is opposite of everything that we've ever known about the world. And so the purpose of the parable is to, it's to catch our attention. It's to kind of to stop us. It's to, to shock us a little bit and to reconsider the way things are and the way things ought to be. And so Jesus is teaching about the way things ought to be in his kingdom. And, and so they are a blessing to the hearer. And so the cur- encouragement to us is that we would hear. On the other hand, parables frustrate the scoffer. Uh, if we just look at these, laugh at these, ignore these, uh, try to make light of these, we'll be frustrated by them. Um, but the point is this, is that a parable is intended to cause us to think and meditate deeply. Now, a couple other things. Parables are not for the purpose of shaping doctrine for us. 
Right? They're not trying to give us like these, these big, grand theological ideas about the atonement or about uh, election or about any of those kinds of things. Doctrine is certainly within them. Theology is certainly within them, but we don't build our doctrine off of the parables. Furthermore, they're not stories about morality. Parables aren't just like one, two, three steps about how to live a good life. They are illustrating greater truths about the kingdom. They're wisdom literature. We're intended to ponder them. We're intended to think about them. We're intended to meditate on them. An important implication of this would simply be that in this particular parable, Jesus is not teaching about an economical system. Right? It's easy. You could, you could easily look at Jesus' teaching in here and, and, and kind of question like, man, was, was Jesus a socialist? That's not the point. It's the wrong question to ask. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus didn't care really about socialism or capitalism. He cared about his kingdom. See, so there's right questions for us to ask in regards to what the parable is teaching. And we understand that the parables are teaching us something about what the kingdom of heaven is like. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But here's, here's the main point for us this morning. The main idea is that all kingdom work is good and valuable under our good and generous king. Hear hear that one more time. All kingdom work is good and valuable under our good and generous king. King, And we're going to try to build out what that looks like. What is kingdom work? What is this generous king? So on and so forth. Uh, but from the get-go, what we need to understand is that Jesus is, in essence, he's, he's answering Peter's question from last week. Uh, and I thought, I thought this was really helpful uh, as I was reading and studying this week. It was uh, Frederick Bruner in his commentary. He pointed that out. That, that Remember Peter's question there in verse 28 or sorry, in verse 27 of Matthew 19, Peter says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Right? Um, and Jesus' response is this interesting answer. Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, here, here's what indicates for us that what Jesus just said there is in connection to what Jesus is teaching here, because notice how the parable ends in verse 16. Jesus says, so the last will be first and the first last. Jesus intends to have these things connected. This is one of those spaces in which our chapter headings can be perhaps a little bit unhelpful. But Jesus is answering Peter's question that he kind of avoided just a little bit earlier. And in it, we get this, this uh, reshaping of what kingdom work looks like. So three, three points for our time this morning. Number one, we're going to see that kingdom work is earthy work. Number two, we're going to see that kingdom work is valuable work. And number three, we'll see that kingdom work is the master's work. Number one, kingdom work is earthy work. So the first thing that really jumps out to me in this text is just right there in verse one. And it's the way in which 
This parable describes the kingdom. Notice what it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, just I'll pause there for a moment. How would you fill that in? Like, if you, if you didn't have the teachings of Jesus, and we weren't working through this, and you didn't just read it, how would you possibly fill that in? The kingdom of heaven is like. Any ideas? Nothing, huh? A feast. Well, that was a really good answer. Who said that? <laughs> good job. That's, I like that. A feast. What else? What was that? Rational and emotional, okay. How else might you fill in? What is the kingdom like? If, like if someone just, you know, was going to come to you and say, like, what's the kingdom of heaven like? Perfection. What did you say, Rachel? People praising God. That's cheating. Vineyard where laborers came. That's, that's cheating. <laughs> City of gold, boom, thank you. That, I was, that's a really along the lines of what I was looking for. Garden, that's good too. That also kind of fits in with the vineyard, so I think that's cheating. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it tends to be that when we think of kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, Jesus uses them interchangeably. They mean the same thing. We tend to have grand ideas about extreme spirituality, right? Perfection. Streets of gold, holiness, angels, those kinds of things. But notice that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. That is incredibly earthy. That is not heavenly as we tend to understand it, right? And so what we see first and foremost is that characteristic of Jesus' teachings to describe the kingdom is that he does so always in very earthy terms. And I think he wants us to understand the kingdom as such. So just as as an example, go back really quick to Matthew chapter 13, where, where Matthew sort of stacks a whole bunch of parables for us. And he, he begins in Matthew uh, 13 with the parable of the sower. And if it, I mean, it doesn't get much more earthy than the parable of the sower, right? You just have this picture of a farmer who's, who's sowing seed out into various parts of the ground, and then it's getting plucked up and so on and so forth. It's incredibly earthy. And the whole point of that is to, to listen to Jesus, Right? To listen to his words. But then Jesus goes on in Matthew 13, and we have these, these parables repeated about the kingdom. And so you have the parable of the weeds, in which Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. That's earthy. Then you have the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Then he goes on into the, and, and explains the, the parable of the weeds. Then we jump over into the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Again, just this earthiness. The parable of the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. 
The parable of the net. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. The point being this, over and over and over again, Jesus uses this earthy language to describe what his kingdom is like. Why is this important? Because Jesus wants us to see the kingdom of God as invading the space of earth. Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't want us to separate them, right? Because the way, that we, the way that we tend to understand heaven is, is what? Sky. Somewhere out there. Somewhere distant. Somewhere far off. And yet Jesus is always bringing heaven down, always. Even, even in his instructing us how to pray, how does he teach us how to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus doesn't want us to have this separation necessarily of kingdom and earth, but rather he wants us to see the kingdom as God's space invading earth's space. And so he uses this earthly, earthy language intentionally because he doesn't want it to be distant from us. He, he doesn't want us to think like, oh, kingdom, heaven, God, like someday we'll see that, someday we'll attain that, someday we'll get that. No, he wants us to start seeing it now in the everyday realities of our lives. And and this makes sense if we remember what our definition of the kingdom is. So a while back, uh, we put forth this definition, which is from uh, Patrick Schreiner, who wrote a little book on the kingdom, and then numerous other scholars uh, have just worked with this and built on this, uh, and he probably got it from someone else anyways, but that the kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. The kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. That is the work of Jesus over his people everywhere. In this earthy Space And so what we're to understand and what we're to see is that the kingdom is in us and around us. It's also an entirely different way of living life that we as kingdom citizens must learn to embrace. We need to learn to listen. We need to learn to receive Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, which is embracing it as a reality here and now. And so what we do with Jesus' teachings on the kingdom is we work to embrace them and embody them now, right? We're learning to embrace and embody what he is teaching about the kingdom's social constructs. So Jesus, in this parable, absolutely wants to reorient our understanding of of what society is to look like or what, what it ought to look like, or, or what, what the kingdom society looks like. Okay? And so what we understand from Jesus' teachings is that the kingdom is always growing all around us in ways seen and unseen. And we understand, too, that the kingdom is God, thus getting the hell out of us and getting the hell out of earth. It is, it is this picture of God working with his people, inviting his people into his work, and like we've been talking about, pushing back darkness. 
That is the kingdom work. Um, in his book called Seek First, which is a book about the kingdom, Jeremy Treat refers to the kingdom like this. And I, and I love how he, um, he just communicates the earthiness of the kingdom. Here's what he says. The kingdom of God is more than a theological concept or a distant reality. We experience the kingdom whenever and wherever God's redemptive reign overcomes our sinful resistance. It is present in the daily challenges and joys of life, as well as those miraculous moments that leave us awestruck. And the evidence of God's kingdom is that it brings transformation to all of life, including the mundane. So Jesus doesn't want us to, to separate his kingdom reality apart from our earthy reality. He, he wants us to understand our identity as being citizens of his kingdom, which, which means that we participate in this world differently than we would otherwise. It means that we understand that the entirety of our lives are kingdom work. The entirety of our lives as disciples of Jesus is kingdom work. We are to enact the good of the kingdom wherever we are and in whatever it is that we are doing. Uh, one of the, the questions that I find to be helpful for this uh, is a question that uh, came from one of John Mark Comer's books is, what would Jesus do were he me today? Like what would it look like if we started asking that question in our lives on a day-in and day-out basis? What would Jesus do were he here, present, me, today, on this earth? And then what you get is just this, this picture of, of this, this kingdom that is just incredibly earthy. Okay? So number, number two then, what we see in this text is that kingdom work is valuable work. Kingdom work is valuable work. So at the heart of this parable, um, there's, a, there's a couple of things. I, I think one of the things that we get is just this picture of work. Uh, we get a picture of, of work, what good work looks like, but we also get a picture of, of what, how we're not to, to make ourselves greater than what we are. Uh, but first, first here we see this picture of, of work. And it, there is, in this parable, what we see is this repeated invitation from the vineyard owner to whoever is idle to enter the vineyard and to be a part of the master's work. So let's just, let's just read this here again, starting there in verse 2. The, the master goes out, finds people to hire to do work in his vineyard. We don't, we don't know exactly what the work is. Okay. Uh, but verse 2 says, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to 
the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, we'll stop there. And what, was, and what we see here is that kingdom work is valuable work. Bruner, in his commentary, he put it like this. He says, quote, human beings are created to work. And without work, especially without meaningful work, there is something pathetic and heartrending about people. In other words, part of the kingdom is work. Our our work is not anti-kingdom or anti-God. And this is important for us to, to... to have reshaped in our, our minds and our thinkings, right? Uh, we, we live in a world that kind of works for the weekend. We're not meant to work for the weekend. We're actually just meant to work. We're meant to work six days and rest one. But essential to our broader understanding of, of how the Bible understands work is that it's inherently good, so just pause for a moment and think to yourself about how you think about your work. And how do you, how do you think about your work in relation to the kingdom? Or even more than that, do you see your work as something in relation to the kingdom? Or do you, do you see it as something completely other than? Because that's another, another challenge for us is often we are, we're like, oh, right here, right now, we're doing kingdom stuff, right? We're in church, singing songs to Jesus, reading about Christmas. I mean, it doesn't get much more kingdom than that, right? December's really good kingdom stuff. But then there's the rest of the week and the rest of the year. What happens then? How are you viewing your work? God has made us to work. It's interesting. Um, we have to ask, then, I think, from Bruner's quote in particular, what is meaningful work? What is meaningful work? Um, first off, I want to connect it back to Genesis. So in Genesis 1 or 2, somewhere, maybe both, it says that when it says that God put man in the garden to work it, uh, the idea is worship. The, the work of the humans was worship. And so the first picture that we see of work in scripture is kind of this this interconnected reality of worship and work going hand in hand. They're not not separate things. They go together. And so we, we worship God in and through our work. It's important to understand that our work is not to be worshiped, that it's a good gift that we worship our good God in and through. Right? So then what is, what is meaningful work? Well, it's interesting, like I said already, that the laborers in this case aren't being called to anything that seems too significant. We don't even get specific details in the parable. You simply have the master going out and inviting laborers into his vineyard to do work. It's pretty general. It's pretty broad. I don't know if they're out inspecting grapes. I don't know if they're out pulling weeds. I don't know if it's grape harvest and they're picking the grapes. We have no idea what it is that they're doing. So because of that, what we have to understand then is that what deems the work as meaningful is that it's in the presence of the master. 
It's, it's in the master's vineyard. So, you, so our, our, our minds, our, our thinking, our imagination is being shaped in light of the kingdom. And what that means for all of us is that we have bosses who we work for, for the most part. But your work is not for that person. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're self-employed. Your work is not for you. Your work is for your king. Your work is for your master, right? Our, our understanding as disciples of Jesus is that it all belongs to who? To Christ. It all belongs to the king. And so we all, we understand that as disciples of Jesus, our work is for that king. We are working in what we're doing in the master's vineyard, and therefore the work is meaningful. The work is valuable, Notice also that we see this illustrated in the way in which uh, the laborers get paid. Because what we have is that the last laborers who go into the, the vineyard and work for an hour get paid the same amount as those who worked for 12 hours. For the most part, the, the work days were 12-hour days, so you probably could imagine like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Is, is essentially the time frame that we have. Some work the entirety of the day, some work for an hour. They all get paid the same. We're like, that's not fair. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The point, though, is, is, is seeing that there's an equal amount of value to the kingdom's work is what Jesus is, is getting at here, right? So a couple other questions I think we have to work through. Um, is any and every kind of work meaningful work? No. Here, here's how. Work that would be degrading to humans and or destructive to humanity is not good work. It, it, the kingdom is, is a picture of God invading the earth space, right? it, pushing hell out of it, in invading it with what is good. So our, our work, meaningful work, then, would be work that participates in that reality. Right? Uh, so we, we want to push back darkness wherever we can. We want to end sex slavery, right? Push that out. Right? We want to push out that which would be bad work, that which would be destructive or degrading to, to other humans, but I think our, our greater challenge is embracing and understanding and seeing more work as the master's work. And, and maybe put it like this. I think some of us have a really hard time thinking that God cares about what we do in our work. Right? Like I, I think some of, some of you spend your days thinking like, man, if I could just, I don't know, be a full-time something for the Lord, put, you know, fill in your blank, then that would, I would be, that would be something. God would be super happy about that. Like, I, I remember having that thought when I, was, when I was first learning how to follow Jesus. I was working for a heating and air company. I was like, God does not care at all about this heating and air company. And then you had like the full-time ministry guys and gals. Now that that was meaningful work. 
That was, that was purposeful work. That, that's the work that I needed to get into. Now I'm into it. And sometimes I wish I worked for the eating air company. <laughs> Kidding, no. That's actually, we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> we need to, to, to learn to see that our work, regardless of what it is that you do, is kingdom work. Because right? I would imagine, for some of you, maybe not all, but for some, you're doing something that you are very passionate about. Right? Like how, you know, we can do this. How many of you enjoy your work? Look at that. That's really good. Right? Some of you enjoy your work a ton. Too much, maybe. God wants you to enjoy your work. And he, he wants you to see your work as actually impactful to his kingdom, as, as being a part of that reality. And so I think a, a helpful question for us to ask when it comes to kingdom work is where does our passion, where does your passion meet needs? Right? A lot of you are, are, are doing something that you're passionate about and you're also meeting needs in the world. That's kingdom work. Um, and we need to, again, we need to, to understand and embrace this because far too often we deem certain work as more spiritual, meaningful, or significant for the kingdom than others, but this is not the way that Jesus teaches us to shape work. Um, <clears throat> in other words, here's, here's, here's one way to think of it. The work of the stay-at-home wife and mom is no less significant than the overseas missionary. And the beauty of the local church is that we have both of those here, Right? Glenn and Linda come up here this morning. They're preparing to be sent overseas. That's beautiful, good work. We celebrate that. We praise God for that. But guess what? The rest of us are staying here. And our work is no less. Whatever that may be. Your work, my work, is no less than that work. Right? Um. Yes, in the kingdom, some are going to go, but most are going to stay. The point that Jesus would get at, though, when it comes to his teaching is that whatever it is that we're doing, we're making much of the king. Right? It's like, it's like so, I mean, if we think of, of what Jesus said in the Great Commission, when he said to go and to make disciples, the, the language there is, is as you are going. It's just this continue, like, as you're going about your life, as you're living your life as a mom, as you're living your life as a farmer, as you're living your life as a teacher, as you're living your life as a barista, as a baker, as a whatever, fill in your blank as you're living your life, you're making disciples of Jesus. It is kingdom work, right? Um... There's a, a, a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, I haven't read it, but my wife read it, and she read a whole bunch of things out of it to me. And I remember this one particular quote, and, and this is what she says. Listen to what she says. It says, I have a, a friend who was a missionary in Kolkata among the poorest of the poor. So that might, be, that might be one of those things that we might deem as like, oh my gosh, that person is just doing amazing, incredible, like sacrificial kingdom work. He told me that what struck him was how mundane life was even in such a foreign and challenging place. That, and he's talking about mundane for himself. 
His decision to go overseas felt daring and bold, but he was surprised to find that wherever he was on earth, much of his day was spent sitting with people, taking care of business and chores, taking care of his own body, knowing his neighbors, seeking to love people, sometimes succeeding, sometimes failing. Whether you're Mother Teresa or a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a revolutionary, a student, or a tax attorney, life is lived in 24-hour days. We have bodies, we lag in energy, we learn slowly, we wake daily, and don't know what lies ahead. And I, I love that picture. I, I love how this just communicates that whatever we're doing, we're all humans having to do the same thing in some capacity. Like, none of us gets to escape this. And so as disciples, what we understand then is that our work is made meaningful. It is more meaningful, whether a teacher, a mom, farmer, doctor, so on and so forth, because we are working for the king. And the point that we see then from the parable is not to devalue either work, but to value them and encourage them. And that then takes us to our third point, which is that kingdom work is the master's work. Kingdom work is the master's work. Let's read from verse 8 there. It says, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them, listen to this, you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So again, keep in mind, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's challenging Peter's question. And he's reshaping Peter's ideas again of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Now remember, Jesus has in some way been doing this since Matthew 18. Because there in Matthew 18, remember what Jesus said. He put a child in the midst of them and said that you must become like a child if you would inherit the kingdom of God. And then a couple of weeks ago, Jesus again rebukes his disciples because they're preventing the children from coming to himself. Last week, We saw in the the story of the rich young ruler, a point that I wanted to make but didn't make, uh, was that Jesus essentially makes the rich young ruler become like a child. Do you see how he he does that? He he tells the rich young ruler, who thinks that he's just kept all of the commands, he says, now go and sell everything. Give it to the poor and follow me. He's basically saying, become like a child who has nothing to offer and nothing to give and come and follow me. And then here we have Peter, who's like, what about us, Jesus? Look at all of our work. We're like, we're, we gave up everything. We're following you. 
This is really hard. People hate us. Look at us. And then what Jesus does is he just, as he always is so good at, he just levels everything. I think it's interesting. The kingdom is a very equal place. Like, the kingdom of heaven offers far more equality, just so you know, than our world could ever offer. And it's frustrating on one hand. It's scandalous. But it's also incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And so here's, here's, here's a few things that we need to, to look at. First, I want us to look at the, the nature of the work, and then second, the master of the work here. First, the nature of the work. Let's just know up front that work in the kingdom is equal, but it is not the same. So, so let's think of ourselves, because this is who we are. We're citizens of God's kingdom. And regardless of what you are doing, your, your occupation, your vocation, your career as disciples of Jesus, we are working for the king. And I, also, let's, let's think in terms of how long you've been a follower of Jesus. Some of us in here have been following Jesus for like 50 years. Some of us, five months. And Jesus is giving this grand picture of equality. And he, and he says, he teaches that the work in the kingdom might be equal. It is equal. Notice their question. You have, you have made them equal to us, even though we bore the burden of the day. And so though the work might be equal, we need to understand that it is not the same. Now, again, this is challenging for us to receive because we're just like, that's not fair. When it comes to our work and our economy, we want fairness. Here, here's, how I, here, here's how I think of this. I remember when I, when I did work at he, uh, Terry's, heating and air conditioning, long time ago when I graduated high school. Um, if, if ever anyone would be hired, a new hire, the question among all of the employees was how much are they making? And if ever it got found out that this new person was making more than someone else who wasn't new, bad news. It was, it was an uproar. It would especially have been the case if, uh, if, if you didn't have equal, equal like, work times and experience. Right? Like, there was just this, this mentality, this understanding of how fairness would work. I've been here longer. I've worked more years than you. Therefore, I should be making more than you. Right? And Jesus is saying that in the kingdom, that's not exactly how it works. Jesus is saying that the nature of the work is different. The kingdom of heaven is not capitalistic. It's also not socialistic. It's the kingdom. It's just other. Right? And that's important for us. We, we, We cannot try to fit the kingdom of heaven into our social constructs. It's just, it's above those. It's different than those. It's other than those. Right? So here's, here's, here's the reality of how this works itself out. Our work in this body as disciples of Jesus is going to look different. Right? It's going to look different. Some of us, and I don't, I'm not pointing that, I'm not saying myself, some of us 
are going to bear the burden of the day more than others might. Some of us have, have been disciples of Jesus longer than others. And I, the expectation would be that you would bear the burden of the day. Right? Others are still, you've been disciples less. And so you're still coming along. Furthermore, there are others who might just do more. And there are those who might do less. Jesus' point is that those who deem themselves as doing more are not to look down on those who they deem as doing less. Because the way that Jesus understands the kingdom and wants us to understand the kingdom, again, is, is not that we would look down upon another, but that we would just celebrate that there's another laborer. So I think, just think for a moment about yourself, okay? Again, like we have to ask this question ourselves. Who, who do you look down upon and why? It doesn't, it doesn't matter how, how long we have been citizens of the kingdom. We have no right to look down upon other citizens of the kingdom, We, we just celebrate that there are more laborers in the field, right? Like, have any of you ever had to pull weeds by yourself? How exciting is it when someone who can actually come and pull weeds with you comes and pulls weeds with you? It's just, it's just better. And, and, it, and right, like in that moment, like you don't care necessarily that they weren't there at the same time as you. You're just grateful that they're there. That's the kingdom, right? Like can we, can we be a people who, who celebrate this reality that in God's kingdom we are we're equal as followers, like being a disciple of Jesus makes us equal brothers and sisters in his kingdom, and that, yep, some of us are going to do, we're, we're bearing a different load. It feels really hot and heavy and burdensome. And that's okay. Now, I, I, I don't think that that leaves excuse for laziness or avoiding the work or assuming like, oh, someone else is going to do it. Like I think as, as disciples, there's, there's a reality in which we are to mature as followers of Jesus. We're to continue to enter into and delight in the work. But just on like a, a surface level here, Jesus just wants us to see that the nature of the work is different for different people and that it's okay. Now, I think there's something else that's going on here. And I haven't, I haven't worked this out fully yet, so you know, take it or leave it. Um, I think... Jesus is also alluding to what Israel has done and what the church is about to experience. Because right? uh, what we have, Jesus is, Jesus is getting ready to say some pretty hard things to Israel. Right? And, and in, the, in the picture of, of the kingdom, Israel would be the people who have bored the burden of the day. Like they've, they've, they've been there, they've received the promises, they've received the covenants, like They've been the chosen people. And now all of a sudden what's taking place is 
Gentiles are coming in. And there's, it's going to bring some issues with it. And Jesus says, nope, in the kingdom, you're all equal. Right? He, levels, he levels it. Right? Here, here's, here's just a spot where we see this. I think this is important in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hear what he is saying. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new person in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." And all Paul is doing is he's speaking into these very issues that Jesus is saying should not happen. He's saying that that in the kingdom, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free, male, female. We are one in Christ. Because that's the nature of the kingdom. Now, the master of the work. So you see the nature of the work, the master of the work. Uh, The master in this parable is obviously representative of God and is central to this parable. And so what is this parable teaching us about the character of the master? Just a a couple of things. First off, we see that the master pursues. The master pursues. I I think we just have to note that over and over and over again, we see that the, the master went out early in the morning. The master goes out about the third hour, going again about the sixth hour. Repeatedly, the master goes out. The father pursues people. Like, I don't don't know where y'all are this morning. Some of you might be here, you know, just because of what you do. Some of you might be here questioning who God is, what this whole Christianity thing is. The master is pursuing you. Like you that, that's the ultimate reality. You're here because you're being pursued and he's inviting you into his work. Right? And so this is, this is his, his character. This is his nature. He's constantly inviting people into his vineyard to labor for him. Will we join him? Second, we see that the master is generous. He's generous. Uh, and the, the generosity of the master is just illustrated in a number of ways through this parable. First off, I find it really interesting that he agrees what to pay the first group. Like they negotiate in some way, shape, or form. I don't necessarily mean, think that that means that we negotiate with God, but it's just interesting 
that they come to an agreement on what they're going to get paid for the first day, right? He's, he, it's, he's opening himself up and, and wanting us to just see his generosity, right? Second, a denarius was actually a, a generous day's wage. And this is what they come to an agreement on. It's interesting, the master didn't have to pay them a denarius, and yet he's willing to, and he does. And so the master is generous. And so the question that we have to ask out of that is, are we generous ourselves in the day in and day out? As disciples of the king, we're intended to be generous as he is. And the final thing that we see about the master is just that the master is fair. He's fair. Now, this one, again, this is challenging because we might look at this on the surface and say, we don't like this. This isn't fair. But fairness is understanding that the master didn't have to do any of this. I think the emphasis here in verse 11 is important, right? On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us, but have, we have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, Notice the generosity in his response. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? The master is fair with what belongs to him and he's gracious in inviting us into his work. The master delights to partner with laborers to build his kingdom. And the question is whether or not we'll see the true reward. Because the true reward is not, it's not the master's things. It's the master. It's the king. The question that we have to walk away from this parable with, I think, is are we going to fix our eyes on the king or are we continuing to fix our eyes on his things? Because he, he just wants us to delight in being in his presence, working in his presence, seeing himself as the true reward and that we have in and through the finished work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we belong to you. Thank you that you invite us into your work and that it is good. I pray that we would have our understanding of work reshaped, that we would embrace what you've called us to do as, as good, that we would enjoy it, that we would delight in it, and that we would just rejoice that we are participants in your vineyard, laboring alongside of one another. May we continue to mature in humility. May we not look down upon others but rather rejoice at the work that you've brought each of us into and that we would, that we would have a, just a clearer picture of the fact that we're, we're working together, we're laboring alongside of one another for your glory. Uh, so would you uh, just continue to be glorified as we worship you and in through song. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.